the people refused to listen to Samuel. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. We're setting this historical backdrop to Israel's great king, David. And we've been examining that transition. There was this confederation of tribes, and they're moving from that um, system of government to a new one that involves an actual monarch. And let's be honest, it's a little clunky, this process, to say the least. And there's one more person that we need to meet um, that's important to the King David story. So hi everybody, it's good to see all of you, those of you who are live in the studio and those of you who are online. Um, If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us uh, today. And you know, my prayer is that we all would have uh, an encounter, a meaningful encounter with the living God. And so I want to introduce you today to Israel's, not the greatest king, certainly, but the first king, um, a man named Saul. And uh, it's a long story, to be honest. Um, So I'm going to grab some of the highlights. And and here's the thing about this. Um, Because it's a new process for Israel and because it is a little clunky, um, we we have to take the convolutedness, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now, the convoluted nature of this and try to tease out some things. So bear with me today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you're going to want to be in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 9, and then we're going to do a little stone skipping again. Okay, We're going to skip across a couple of, of uh, chapters and verses in order to understand kind of the first king's transition um, into power. And then we're going to see, uh, then we're going to, um, uh, I'm going to make some comment about it. So here we go. First Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to begin with verses 1 and 2. If you don't have it, uh, that's okay, I've got it on the screen. There was a Benjamite, a Benjamite, ben, I want to say Benjaminite, but that just is not correct. It's Benjamite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, which is just a cool name. So if you, um, if you or like one of your kids uh, uh, are going to have children, let me know. I will give you great Bible names for them. You will, they will reject all of them. It's okay, but I have some great Bible names. Anyway, Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome uh, young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Every time I read that, I have this image of what Saul actually looks like. And um, and the image that I have in my head is somebody with executive style hair. Do you know who that is? I mean, you've seen the type, you know, it's all coiffed just right. And, you know, they go in for the haircut and, you know, that sort of thing. That's kind of what I I get this impression of of Saul. But then I remember the world's richest man kind of looks like me, Jeff Bezos. He's got a chrome dome, just, just like me. But that's all right. The, in this particular case, when we're talking about Saul, he is described as having a certain amount of attractiveness uh, in, his, in his visage, in his per, uh, person. And so he's, he's tall. and This is kind of like the, the, the guy from Impanema. 
tall and dark and young and come on, you know the song. No, I'll leave it at that because I'm not sure we're supposed to sing that one at church, but that's okay. All right, so First Samuel chapter 9, we get introduced to this man named Saul. And he's a, a Benjamite, which um, actually becomes um, important later on in the story. Then in chapter 10, we see this. Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance, all of Israel? And then in verse 8, he gives him some instructions. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. Okay? So this is really important. We're introduced to Saul, and and there's a story about how he uh, eventually is identified as, as Israel's king, but Samuel anoints him with oil, making him king, but gives him some instructions. And this is really easy to skip over. I mean, you can just read over this and and not think anything uh, about it. But he's anointed as king, and he's given specific instructions. And this is really important. Unfortunately, what happens in this story is that Saul is actually delayed um, uh, from heading right immediately to the city of Gilgal uh, because war breaks out with a country called Ammon, um, which is in the north kind of where uh, we would see modern-day Syria, if that's helpful to you. So north of the Sea of Galilee. And Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, right? He's a Benjamite. Isn't that the name of something that you eat in Australia? Vegemite, that's right. I'm sorry, I'm like, God, this sounds so familiar to me. No, it's uh, Benjamite. Okay, so (laughs) it's amazing I get anything done, right? I just... Anyway, so Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. And and what's really interesting is that if you begin to explore the tribe, um, you will see uh, that that particular tribe often associated with a specialized warrior caste. And there's certain places in the Bible where we read about people from the, uh, men from the tribe of Benjamin who have special training and often special weapons. And so there, there seems to be the special warrior cast. And, and I don't think it's, it's any coincidence that the first um, king that God calls is from that tribe. Because obviously we're moving from this tribal, sort of ruled by judges, regional conflicts, moving towards a monarchy. They're going to need some type of a strong leader. And so um, he's... Uh, uh, he, he may have been part of that, but needless to say, Benjamin is, is, a, is a tribe of known fighters. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's important to this story. And so what happens with this battle with the Ammonites is that Paul proves himself to be a bold and actually a competent military commander, which is probably good for the country. Right? So he capitalizes on this experience. He goes after Ammon and he beats him and beats them soundly, I might add. And so then he turns his attention towards the south. But in the process of doing that, <laughs> he attacks the southern enemy too, Philistia, the land of the Philistines. Which is really interesting because there's this conflict that happens in the north. So Ammon comes and picks the fight. And Saul goes up and he meets it. 
But as soon as he returns home, someone in his household, his son, Jonathan, goes out and he attacks the Philistines too. Because apparently one battle was just not enough for him. Okay? So we see this, this happening. So let's pick up the story again here in 1 Samuel 13. So the Philistines, they heard about this. And they assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers, because you've got two in each chariot. They're like ancient tanks. And soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Couldn't count them. There's just all kinds of them. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves, in thickets, among the rocks, and in pits, and in cisterns. They were scared. They were scared because they, they realized they bit off more than they could chew, or at least somebody did, probably Saul. You see, Ammon was, was similar to Israel in the sense that it was tribal, or so it seems. But Philistia was an entirely different story for two things in particular, one of which was organization. It was just organized differently. It wasn't the tribal um, type of government that, that we saw in the other parts of the ancient Near East. And the other factor that makes them stronger was technology. We've, we find out later there were a lot of iron workers, a lot of um, metalsmiths in Philistia. And Israel didn't have any of those. There's a fascinating little tribe of people called the Kenites. If you ever get a chance, go look up the Kenites in the Old Testament. And you'll find that they are tinkerers and inventors. And they were the ones who developed technology and, and that sort of, of uh, sort of thing. Kind of the, the uh, ancient version of research and experimentation. And so you have Philistia, who has a large number of these metalsmiths employed. In fact, Israel would have to go uh, to um, the Philistines in order to buy farm equipment or to have their blades sharpened on their, on their farm equipment. So you have two different factors here. Ammon, which is like Israel, versus Philistia, which has a better organization and better technology overall. And so Saul was in Gilgal, as he was instructed by Samuel, with a small army. Um, it's not a standing army like you would have with, with you know, a typical monarchy, because remember, this is all new. This is the first king. They're still trying to sort all this stuff out. The enemy has amassed like legitimately amassed in front of them, and Israel loses heart and hides. And on top of all of this, Saul happens to be a pretty impatient man. Does this sound like a recipe for peace and understanding? No, probably not. So let's pick this up again, going down to verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. How many of you would agree that this is a problem militarily? Strategically, this is a bad set of circumstances. 
So he, Saul, said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Boy, this is a scene made for a movie, right? Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Okay, Saul, why did you do that? <laughs> right? What have you done? Asked Samuel. <clears throat> and Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an accusatory question that Samuel asks, right? What, how many of you have said that same phrase to your kids? <laughs> yes? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an accusation here. <clears throat> Samuel replies to him, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now... Your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So what, 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 did, what really happened here? What did Saul actually do that was so offensive? What's the actual problem? Well, I think there's a couple of things. There's one obvious and a couple maybe not so obvious. The first thing was is that he actually attacked Philistia. He actually went out and attacked him. Remember, again, Ammon picked the first fight. Israel picked the second one with a, a, a much greater uh, opponent. And so, um, well, actually, it was his son who did it. But it was unprovoked, more or less, and apparently impatience runs in the family. Both Saul and, Saul and his son Jonathan are kind of impatient. The second thing is that he went to war before um, completing Samuel's instructions. Now think about that a little bit, right? You're supposed to go down to Gilgal, you need to wait seven days, and then something happens and he trapes all the way up north and he's got to go ahead and take care of business with the Ammonites. Again, not part of the instruction package. Third, <clears throat> he offered the sacrifices himself. And I almost get the sense here um, is that Saul kind of looked at the circumstances and says, well, well, you didn't come, we just kind of went ahead without you. Like, it's no big deal. Now, first of all, Saul is not a priest. Second of all, I think he has what we, what we would typically call a high D personality, kind of a driver personality. Those of you who are familiar with the personality test called the DISC, this would be the high D, this is the, the dominance um, leadership trait. And that typically, when you have a high D person, it's like, get it done right now. It, it's all about getting this, about taking that hill. It's about taking care of business. That seems to be what Saul is here. And in, in that part of his personality, he's like, look, you didn't show up. because We just went on without you. We, we had to get this done. I needed to seek the Lord's favor in order to do this. Really? You didn't do that against Ammon. And then now that you bit off more than you can chew, you feel like you got to have the Lord's favor. And by the way, only priests are allowed to make sacrifices. And we learned this very early on. When we met Samuel, he was serving in the temple under a priest, and therefore he himself was a priest. 
So that's the reason why Samuel was showing up to offer these sacrifices because it was part of his God-given duty as a member of the priestly class. It's just, it's just astonishing here. And so it's no wonder that we, we find his response, you've really done a foolish thing. Actually, you've done three foolish things, but you know we'll just count this one for right now. Oops. And what I find so funny about this is he's been king for like, what, a week? <laughs> and already Samuel has prophesied that your house is not going to endure. God would have established your kingdom for all time. That's a long legacy. But not now. He's lost his legacy. He's lost his Dynasty. And I want you to notice this phrase too. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, um, which is where the um, sermon series title comes from, After God's Heart. We're going to return to this phrase later um, because the man after God's own heart is not Saul. And by the way, that phrase doesn't mean what you think it means. But that means you've got to show up in a couple weeks when I can explain it to you. So. That's what we call a hook, kids. So come on back and we're going to talk more about this one. So I think the easy message here, at least with this story, the easy message, the, the conclusion we can draw, the big idea that we can, we can highlight, is that humans look at appearance, tall and handsome, but God looks at the heart. And that's true. In fact, God says that same thing to Samuel three chapters later, chapter 16. He even talks about it. And so it, it's true. Saul looked the part. He had some competency as a military leader, but he missed the heart of it all. There's something that he missed here. And so I think that this idea that that God looks at the heart while humans look at appearance is true, but I wonder, I, I wonder if there's something a little bit deeper or maybe there's a richer lesson here. And I find this fascinating because just this last week, I was in my journal uh, working through something and realized that this passage aligned with it. And, and I want to share this with you. So if you've got something to write with, if you've got a journal with you, you may want to... Um, you might want to draw this picture. i got a picture for you um, because it's just easier for me to understand. God knows I like pictures, and so they, they come to me. So I doubt that this passage is a, is a coincidence, and so I want to offer some thoughts that hopefully will, will take us a, 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 little bit, a little bit further down the road than just kind of this appearance thing. If Saul illustrates anything, it's simply this, that our actions reveal our heart right? Don't just tell me something. Show me something, right? In that sense, we're all kind of from Missouri. Show me. We really are. We, we, we want to make sure that, that people's actions and their words align. What, what's the phrase? Walk the talk, right? We've heard this. And even though um, Saul was a bit boneheaded, I think he, he truly acted what was in his heart. I need to seek the Lord's favor, and I got to do it soon because, pragmatically speaking, my army's leaving me. 
So from a military standpoint, Saul is not wrong. But from a spiritual point, from a heart point, he's missing something. Do you see this? We want to make it so black and white, and yet it's not. Because in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of your circumstances, sometimes you make decisions that aren't necessarily the ones that God wants for you. We all do this. And it's important that we we recognize that. And I think it's really important that we think about this idea of heart and actions. Because when we, when we don't act according to what we truly believe, we feel off. Have any of you felt that way? You were asked to do something that you knew, even if you can't, couldn't articulate why you thought it was off, but you knew you kind of had to, whether it was to fit in or to keep your job or some other set of circumstances, there's just something there where you know that it's off and you feel off because you're not acting according to your beliefs or convictions. And what normally happens is it's really easy for us to feel ashamed or resentful in those moments. We get upset with the people that are, are around us um, because it's, it's almost like the, the peer pressure may be forcing us into something, to act differently. What we really want for ourselves and for the people that we're dealing with is for our heart and our actions to align with, with, with each other. So what if we looked at it this way? You've got your heart and your actions and you want an alignment there. And the people that you deal with, you want there to be alignment. Do you not? Because people who act one way who say one thing and act, uh, and act differently, those particular people, you don't trust them. None of us do, right? So you want your, your heart to align with, with your actions. <clears throat> and generally, generally speaking, that's the kind of people that we, we prefer to deal with. And we call them um, not fake or better yet, authentic, Right? Authenticity, that seems to be a hot word, has been for a while. Just want to be authentic. Well, really what they're talking about is your heart and your actions aligning with each other, right? So this is authenticity. However, I think authenticity can sometimes be a little overrated. Let me explain that. Um, So don't send me a text or email yet. Just hold on (laughs) one second. Authenticity is not the end goal or the aim. I don't think. Um, I think it was Erwin McManus who pointed out that the prison system is filled with people who are just being authentic to themselves. Think about that for a moment. What was in their heart and their actions aligned, and it got them in trouble. Could have. And Saul, I do believe, was being authentic. Samuel, you were late. I had a strategic decision that I had to make. I had to seek the Lord's favor even though you weren't here. So we went on without you. We got it done. This is further evidence of that high D, right? Here we are. I'm in this set of circumstances. I need to make this. I'm going to do it. My heart and my actions are completely aligned with one another. So authenticity by itself doesn't seem to be the whole package. There's probably something else here. And I think this leads me to the second thought that I have, and this is only for Christians. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is not for you. You can sit back and laugh at us, okay? So if you're watching online, you're not a believer, that's okay. You don't have to pay attention to this. Up until this point, I think this is pretty much true for everybody. We want hearts and actions 
to align. But there's another step here. And yes, we want those things to be aligned, but we also need to bring our hearts into agreement with God's word. Into agreement first. Agreement, then alignment. Do you see this? That's the, the, the part of this that I think Saul probably missed it. Yes, his heart and actions were aligned, but his, his heart was not in agreement with what God had said to him through Samuel. And it's imperative that we know what God said. Yes, you've got to spend time with God reading and listening to what he's saying in order to bring your heart into agreement with it. Because otherwise, you are left to your own devices. And whether you're aligned and authentic and all of that, hey, that's cool. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you are missing that component of being in agreement with God's word, you're in trouble. And this is what happens to a lot of us as believers. Sometimes we know what God is saying to us and and we just haven't brought our hearts into agreement with him. But I think most of the time, at least within the circles that I I travel, I think what happens is we don't even know what God is saying to us. Now we do generally, right? I mean, we understand the Ten Commandments and we understand that, oh, we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people. And yes, all of those things are true on a general sense. But very specifically, what is God saying to you? What is God saying in your moments of being alone with him? Oh, wait, you're not alone with him? Ah, then how are you going to get your heart in agreement with him? Does this make sense? This is true alignment when you have all three of those things. You have agreement and authenticity, but when you bring all of those things together, now you have true alignment because it threads itself all the way through your heart and through your actions. And so what we have to do is we have to learn how to come into agreement with whatever God is saying to us and then ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to do it. Right? That's where the, pardon the, pardon the language, but that's where the magic happens is when we begin to see the agreement and then the alignment taking place and that's when, that's when you begin to see God move in your own life and in the lives of other people especially as you're dealing with them. Yes, even that person in the cubicle next to you that you don't like or in the office down the hall that you just really don't like traveling to and talking to that person. Yeah. I think God wants to speak to those sets of circumstances too, but it all starts with agreement and then it goes to authenticity. How do you bring all of those three things into alignment, if that makes sense? What I would suggest to you is, um, you know, if you've got this written down in your journal, what you might want to do is pull this out uh, tomorrow or whenever you've got some time and just sit with the Lord and say, God, what are you saying to me that I need to agree with? Because I'm living my life week after week because I got bills to pay, I got kids to raise, I've got stuff to do, I've got expectations that are on me. I've got responsibilities. But Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? And God, how do I bring all of these things into true alignment? How do I do that? What is it that you're saying to me? Let me just start there. Lord, what is it that you have to say? 
And I, and I, I, I guess my, my real question is, at the center of all of this, surprisingly, is your heart. Where is your heart today? Now, I know that when I'm saying that, there's, <laughs> there's a very good possibility that going through your head are some condemning thoughts. Oh, man, I know my heart's not right. If you are listening or if you're hearing condemning thoughts, that is not from God. I just, I'm going to say that right now. I may not be able to turn that off in your head, but I want you to understand that if it is a condemning thought because your heart and actions aren't fully uh, aligned with his, his word, if you hear condemnation, that's not from God. Because in my experience, what happens is usually God's like, oh, come on, I got something so much better for you. I have something that I want to tell you. I want you to live in this kind of alignment and I can hardly wait for you to be there with me. And so my question for you is not a condemning question, but it's, a, it's an exuberant question. Hey, where's your heart? Maybe you're in that place where you are listening to God and, and you can say, hey, my heart's in agreement and my actions are aligned and I am living the best kind of Christian life that I can possibly live. If that's you, great, please pray for the rest of us. But maybe what you're saying is, you know what, I'm not sure what God is actually saying. That's okay. He's still talking to you. That's cool. Now, you may need to carve out some time to go listen to him. You might need some help processing that. That's good. But that's not a condemning thought. That is an opportunity for you to excel. I had a teacher in high school who called um, exams opportunities to excel. It's kind of what this is. Yeah, you're giggling because you know what I'm talking about, right? But it is. It is an opportunity for you to excel and say, God, what do you, what do you have in mind? God, God, where's my heart? Maybe, maybe you don't know where your heart is right now. That's a great place to be because now you can ask him. Now you've got something to talk about. Lord, where's my heart? Is there a way that I can bring this into agreement with you? Because I'm not sure how this all fits together, but I'm really excited to learn. Will you please show me? Oh, that, my friends, is a dangerous prayer. Because I think God does this. Let's go. I think God wants to go to work on those things. Why? Because he's a way maker. He's a promise keeper. Light in the dark. You just sang it. Do you believe it? And that's why you want to go and say, God, where's my heart? See, the easiest thing for us to think about are our actions. Because we, we got to get up every day and, and do our thing. But where is it coming from? Where is it being directed? Maybe the creator and the sustainer of the universe, which includes you, has something to say about that. In fact, I'm pretty sure he does. So where's your heart today? Where's your heart? Let's pray. Jesus, as we gather here, we know you're present. We believe you are. Because your word says that when we're gathered in your name, you're here too. And Lord, if you're here, you have something to say to each one of us. 
maybe collectively. And Lord, what we want to do is to hear what you have to say and to bring our hearts into agreement with that. God, I want to bring my heart into agreement with what you're saying. And, and I, I believe that you are present here, that you are moving in ways that I can't even possibly imagine. And before I go any further, Lord, I just pray that any person who would have a condemning thought in their mind, that somehow that their heart and their actions aren't good enough, aren't holy enough, aren't effective enough, in the name of Jesus, I command that voice to be silent. Just pray that there would be nothing that would undermine the words that you might want to speak to our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, you are in the room. I just pray that any obstacle, any barrier, or anything that we have somehow erected that would that would keep you from speaking to us would be torn down. Weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to tear down those strongholds, those things that we hang on to, that we just don't need to, that keep us from agreeing with what you're saying, to even hear what you have to say, and, and those things that would cause us to live inauthentically. Holy Spirit, we need you. <laughs> I think every person in this room at some level needs a heart realignment. God, would you do that kind of realignment for us? And I pray that as we go into next week, this simple little diagram just pop into our heads in the moment that we need it and that when it does that we would say oh wait God are you trying to say something to us oh God help us to, to make those kinds of connections so that we can see you at work <laughs> I see the world in which we live and I, I read the stuff and I see how people that I dearly love are tearing each other apart and I think God this, is, this isn't this isn't the way it's supposed to be need a heart realignment to move above the, the pettiness of the things around us and to, to really hear what your heart is saying to ours and to then to live that out. Oh God, I long for that type of world. I long for that type of church. <laughs> I long for that type of authenticity just even in my own life. So wherever people are at where their hearts are at oh god do the realignment holy spirit it's your turn to do the things that only you can do in my heart i say yes in jesus name amen